and Graham Lotz with an introduction to today's message. There are false messiahs today, false Christ who claim to be the Messiah. They claim to be, in a sense, Jesus, and that they can bring peace and prosperity if you follow them. Welcome to today's message with Bible teacher Ann Graham Lotz here on Living in the Light, a weekly program in the study of God's Word. Today's message is a powerful reminder that it's time to wake up. Jesus is coming for you and me. Here's Anne in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And if I can paraphrase what he said, he basically said, you know, you can look at the sky in the morning. If it's red in the morning, then sailors take warning. You look at the sky at night. If it's red at night, sailors delight. In other words, you can look at the sky. You can determine the weather. Oh, foolish generation. You don't know the signs of the times. So what was he talking about? What was the... What time were they missing? What was the sign of the time that he was referring to? And if you think about it, the scribes and the Pharisees and the people he was talking to were people who knew the law. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the ceremonies and the sacrifices, and all of it pointed to the Messiah. The sacrifices would be fulfilled by the Messiah. The ceremonies were symbolic of the Messiah. The temple was laid out, and it was all symbolic of the Messiah. And they should have known before anybody else. And it was time for the Messiah, and they missed him. So, if the scribes and Pharisees who knew the Old Testament scriptures would possibly sleep through the first coming of the Messiah and miss his first coming, is it possible that you and I, we're not going to sleep through a second coming? Believe you me, nobody will miss it. He said, as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so will be his coming. But could we miss the prelude? Is it possible to not know what time it is and not know that we're approaching the end of human history as we know it? And I think that it is. I think it's time to wake up. And I'm praying in this message that you yourself will make up your own mind as to what time you think it is in human history that you would live accordingly, okay? I want to know what time it is, or I may miss something very important, someplace I'm supposed to go, something I'm supposed to do, person I'm supposed to speak to, and we need to know what time of day it is. We need to know what time we're living in human history. And it's up for you to determine what time you think it is in human history that you might order your life accordingly. I'm going to lay out what I think is the timeline, okay? (laughs) And the first coming of Jesus covered 33 years, right? And it included many different events. His birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Okay, 33 years, many different events. His second coming, broadly speaking, covers at least seven years. All right? Many different events. And I think the first event or the next event or the first one of his second coming in that broader context is the rapture of the church. When Paul says in Thessalonians and he says in Corinthians, in a twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will blow. And those of us who are alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the sky to be with the Lord and evermore we're going to be with the Lord. Jesus is coming for you and me as believers to take us to heaven. And I think that's imminent any minute. All right, so you have the rapture of the church, but that doesn't necessarily coincide with the beginning of the seven-year period of tribulation. That's been a new thought for me in the last couple of years. 
And that doesn't trigger the great tribulation. What triggers the tribulation is when the Antichrist, the world leader, signs a peace treaty with Israel. And for three and a half years, they have peace. And then he breaks, at the middle of that seven-year period, he breaks that peace treaty. That ushers in the great tribulation of the time of Jacob's trouble, or what I think is the day of the Lord. And then that ends with the visible return of Jesus was the great and terrible day of the Lord, when Arma, you know, all the nations are gathered, Jesus comes back, and then he judges the nations, and he sets up his rule in Jerusalem. So the second coming in a broad, broad spectrum is at least seven years, covering the rapture, the rise of the Antichrist, the signing of that peace treaty, the breaking of the peace treaty, and all of those bowls of wrath and the seals of wrath and the trumpets that are in Revelation, and then the visible, physical return of Jesus when the sky unfolds and white horse appears, and the rider whose name is faithful and true, followed by the armies of heaven. And if I read it right, you and I will be in that army. So we're up in heaven. We're going to come back with him. We're going to reign with him and rule with him. And so that wonderful day is coming when these people who've suffered so much are going to not only have their tears wiped away and their suffering will be no more, but they're going to be in a place of honor and leadership. And the Bible says if we share in his suffering, if we suffer with him, we're going to share in his glory and we're going to reign with him. So that day is coming. But I want to make it clear when I titled this message, Jesus is coming, what I'm really referring to is the rapture, okay? The broader period that encompasses the second coming from the rapture through to the physical, visible return of Jesus Christ to earth. So thinking of the rapture and what time it is, and I believe it's imminent, but Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus, sitting on the Mount of Olives, he'd been teaching in the temple, and they walked across that Kidron Valley, that is the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and they're up on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is looking out over Jerusalem, and he says, you know, not one stone is going to be left on top of another, and he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem by Rome. It happened 40 years later. So the disciples said, well, when is that going to happen? And then they asked the second question in verse 3. The disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so they're asking him, Lord, how will we know that we're coming up on the verge of the second coming, at least that seven-year period? How do we know when you're going to come back? And they might not have understood the rapture at that point, but how do we know when all of these things begin to converge and human history as we know it ends? So Jesus sits right there. He didn't dispute the fact that there would be an end. So there will be an end to human history. There was a beginning, there's a midpoint in his first coming, there's an end at his second coming. Then he just tells them how to tell time, how they will know if they're the last generation of human history as we know it. And I've taken the signs, I've put them into five categories because they help me remember. And then in the categories, I'll give you some examples. But Jesus is saying, first of all, he's coming. And in verse 42, therefore, keep watch. How do you and I watch for his coming? You read your newspaper, get your news online, get it on TV, however you get your news. And then you take your Bible and you overlay what's happening in our world with what the scripture says. So you look at what's going on in our world with a biblical worldview, seeing what the Bible says about what's happening. It's just what Joel, the prophet, has done in the little book of Joel. He saw the locust plague and what was happening around him, and he overlaid that with God's word, and he came up with something that was very significant. So keep watch. In verse 8, he said, as he goes through these signs that he's given, they're like birth pains. And I want to point that out before I give you the signs, because I gave birth to my children, my Labor pain started as a low back pain, 
and then it sort of wrapped around the front, and I thought, well, you know, this isn't so bad. Why does everybody make such a big deal of this, you know? <laughs> and then <laughs> went from five minutes to four minutes to three minutes to two minutes, and as it increased in frequency, it increased in intensity until the end, I was hollering, and the baby came. And so Jesus is giving these signs. He said they're like birth pains. When you see them increasing in frequency, when you see them increasing in intensity, then you know that that's the last generation. So the signs that he gives pretty much have always been in human history. But the point is, when you see them all happening, increasing in frequency and in intensity within one generation, that's the generation. All right? So now you decide. I'll report, you decide. I'll help you decide. <laughs> all right, verse, this is it. the first category is the spiritual category, all right? Verse 5, many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. So in other words, there will be many false Christs. And Christ is the New Testament word for the Old Testament Messiah. And Messiah was the one who, who would come from God, who would bring peace and prosperity to the world. There are false messiahs today, false Christs, who claim to be the Messiah. They claim to be, in a sense, Jesus, and that they can bring peace and prosperity if you follow them. And in my generation, I'll give you some names. Jim Jones from the People's Temple, do you remember them? David Koresh, the Branch Davidians. Sun Moon of South Korea. Marshall Applewhite of Heaven's Gate. These are just people who are claiming to be the Christ the Messiah. But what if one steps out and claims to be the Messiah and can do miracles? Gave somebody sight who'd been blind, you know, solved some major problems and started to call down fire from heaven and watch out that you be not deceived because miracles don't necessarily come from God. And the Antichrist is described as somebody who can do signs and wonders. And that's the same phrase used to describe our Lord Jesus Christ. So a miracle, you know, it's when Moses had his staff and he flung it down in front of Pharaoh and it turned into a snake and all Pharaoh's magicians threw it on their staffs and they became snakes. And of course, Moses' snake ate up theirs, but they were able to do a miracle. For everything God does, Satan has a counterfeit. And so miracles are in that category. God can do miracles and Satan comes along and counterfeits. You know, so watch out. Don't be deceived. There will be false Christs, and they're going to increase. In verse 9, there'll be persecution of Christians. He said, you'll be handed over, speaking to his disciples who were followers of Christ, handed over and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations. And the National Association of Evangelicals has estimated 200 million people a year pay the ultimate price for their relationship with Jesus through persecution and just denied basic human rights, somewhere right now, people are paying the ultimate price for their faith in Jesus. And you think of persecution, well, you know, it's over there. Would it ever come here? And persecution, paying the price, losing the promotion, losing the acceptance, is in America also. And then, I want to read that verse again, handed over and put to death, hated by all nations, because he was speaking to his disciples who were followers of Christ, but they were Jews. So I think this is a prophecy of anti-Semitism in the last days. And right now, 
the European atmosphere of anti-Semitism is so severe that the Prime Minister of Israel issued an invitation to all the Jews living in Europe to come to Israel and he would help pay for their relocation. And hundreds of thousands of Jews leaving France, they blew up that grocery store targeting the kosher grocery store in the Jewish neighborhood. The Ukraine, a couple of years ago, they were passing out pamphlets outside a synagogue warning the Jews they needed to register, and it was signed by the mayor. And then when it got world attention, they rescinded it. They're Nazis who have joined the Ukrainian army to resist the Russian separatists, but if they win and they push back the Russian separatists, they're left with Nazis? It's like the fight for Tikrit, isn't it? You know, you, you want to push back ISIS, and so you work with Iran, and if you defeat ISIS, you're stuck with Iran. You know, it's like between a rock and a hard place. But anti-Semitism, and in the U.S., the Jewish Community Center that was uh, where people opened fire, three people killed there. Brandeis University has conducted a poll and said that anti-Semitism is rising on college campuses. And the boycott, divestment, sanctions of Israel is sweeping through young people where they're trying to force Israel to submit to Palestinian demands to the point that the University of California at Davis passed that the students voted for that boycott, and when they did, they shouted Allah Akbar, and they put a swastika on the wall, and one of the women tweeted or put on her Facebook that Sharia law would rule at the University of California at Davis. And they rescinded that vote, but not for the reason you and I would, just because they felt it didn't represent something or other, you know. But it showed that anti-Semitism was there, and I saw a video not too long ago, the Jewish guy, he was a reporter, and he wore his yarmulke, and he walked through the streets of Paris, and the guy in front of him had a concealed camera in his backpack. So it just looked like this guy was walking down the street, and the guy in front of him was walking down the street, but he had a backpack with a camera in it. It showed you the reaction to this man who obviously was Jewish because of his yarmulke, and people spat on him, and people called him names, and people said ugly things when he came by or tried to push him away. It, it was stunning. And even when he was reporting, he was back in Jerusalem, if I remember right, when he was reporting and sort of summarizing the video that he had captured. But I felt like he was still shaken by it. So 54% of Jewish American college students say they were victims of anti-Semitic incidents. It's rising. So I ask, why in the world? Why would you hate a Jew because he's a Jew? And the only reason is because of Satan. God loves the Jewish people. If you want to know why God chose the Jewish people, Deuteronomy tells us it's because he loves them. And therefore, Satan hates who God loves. And he's not only after persecution of Christians because we know God loves us, he's after the Jews, even the ones who are not saved because God loves them. And to me, it's sickening. But we have an increasing rise of anti-Semitism. Fourthly, fourth sign in the spiritual realm, divisions within the church. Verse 10, many will turn away from the faith and betray each other. And we do that over gay marriage or the ordination of women or music or over the gospel, saying that Jesus is the only way, only truth, only life, only way you'll get to heaven, only way you'll get into a right relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And that can divide a church over the inerrancy of the scripture, saying God's word is God's word. That got me thrown out of a church. And it's amazing. False prophets in verse 11, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And 
A prophet was somebody who was said to receive a message from God and then give it out to the people. A false prophet is somebody who said he received a message from God, he gave it out to the people, but it didn't come from God at all. Harold Camping, who said the rapture would come in May 21st, 2011, so when Jesus didn't come, then it's October 21st, 2011, and that's a false prophet. Rob Bell, pastor of a mega church up in Michigan, and people were thrilled with him, excited, packing them in, and wonderful new way to reach the next generation. Then he came out with a book, made the cover of Time magazine, that implied there really wasn't a hell after all. And then he's come out strongly in support of gay marriage. And while he did that, he trashed the Bible and said it was totally irrelevant. And who would want to read letters that were 2,000 years old anyway? That's a false prophet. Someone who says they have a word from God. And they give it out to the people. But it's not from God. Watch out! The false prophets are everywhere. They're in the pulpits of your churches and the lecterns of the seminaries and can be next door to you. So you have to take God's word and you measure everything by the word of God. God's word is our plumb line, Amos says. So those are the signs in the spiritual world. There'll be an increase of wickedness and coldness, and I think that's within the church as the word is not given out and false prophets are in the pulpits, and so people's hearts grow cold towards each other and towards the Lord and towards the scripture and towards the lost and towards the gospel, and, and then wickedness increases. And then Timothy, Paul told Timothy that in the last days there would be a form of godliness. People would have a religion. And you know, we're very spiritual people, aren't we? Very religious people, but no relationship with God. No power. So in the spiritual realm, what time do you think it is? So, you know, I encourage you to take these categories and then you just, you know, you can take the things that Jesus said and then you start watching the news, reading your newspaper, gathering your own examples, all right? And just watch. Second category are national signs. In verse 6, he said there'll be rumors of wars. Rumors of wars like Iran's nuclear program. Rumors of wars like in North Korea. Rumors of wars like Saudi Arabia sitting down with Pakistan. Are they going to buy nuclear weapons? Verse 6 said there'd be wars. Right now there are serious armed conflicts. And that would be when 200 to 1,000 people are killed a year in the conflict. In Central Africa, India, Mali, the Philippines, Russia, Somalia, Sudan, Yemen. Ten major wars right now that have over a thousand combatants killed per year in Nigeria, Libya, Yemen, Ukraine, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Congo, South Sudan. Did you know, and I didn't, that the U.S. has special ops, special operations in 134 countries? Verse 7 says that nation will rise against nation. That's a description, as I understand, in the Hebrew of a world war. I heard one general on TV saying that the world is now our battlefield. You know, we used to have sort of clear lines in World War I and clear lines in World War II. You know, as nations aligned and we fought against each other, and now it's just sort of blurred, isn't it? The whole world seems to be in turmoil and upheaval, and that's going to get worse. So, third category, and maybe I'll just ask you, just watch the national category. The wars, the rumors of wars, the perplexity of nations, the world wars, and it can be a world war on drugs, a world war on terrorism, you know, a world war it used to be on poverty and 
things like that. Now it's getting so bad, but just look in that category, watch the news, collect your examples, and decide what time. Third category, environmental signs. I've given you many of these, but in verse 8 he refers to the famines and the earthquakes, and that's just saying there will be changes in the environmental world. And we also have when he talks about, you know, the stars falling from the sky and the moon turning to blood and all that kind of stuff. The weather has changed dramatically in a very short period of time. And I heard one weather channel, it was on a weather channel, saying that the weather is just careening out of control. And they had no idea why. So you can say global warming, you can say the polar vortex, you can say El Nino, or whatever you want to say, but it still doesn't give an explanation for all the things that are happening around the world today. So what I'm wanting you to see is that something has happened, but it's increasing in frequency and increasing in intensity. Record-breaking snow for a two-month period in New York City, record-breaking fire in Yosemite, Hurricane Sandy, record-breaking in its cost, $65 billion or whatever it was, number of earthquakes per year almost double, volcanic eruptions, there were 55 major eruptions in 1990, in 2010 there were 82, in 2013 the record for 2010 was broken, tornadoes, listen to this one, in 2010, there were 506 tornadoes in the United States. In 2011, there were 1,151. That's more than double. Oklahoma had a tornado in 2013 that was 2.6 miles wide. That's as wide as Manhattan. More Oklahoma had a tornado with winds of 200 miles an hour. Record-breaking floods in Toronto, Colorado. 2014. Hottest year on record, coldest winter on record in the same year. Snow in Buffalo, New York to seven feet. Drought in Albuquerque that went for 43 days without rain or snow, and it may have gone longer than that. California's in a state of emergency. Nevada in the state of emergency from drought. Earthquakes. Until 2009, there were three earthquakes per year in Oklahoma. In 2014, there were 585. More earthquakes today in Oklahoma than in California. <laughs> April 2014 is described as the month that shook the world. There were 13 earthquakes that were higher than 6.5. In May 2014, there were 32 earthquakes in one day. Two of them were over 6.2. Tornadoes in 2014 of March. This was an interesting record. It was the lowest count ever recorded. I don't... I I don't even know if there was a tornado in March 2014. In April, the next month, within four days, there were 75 tornadoes confirmed, which was a record number. There were floods, record-breaking floods in Detroit, Great Britain. Wales had their wettest year in 2,250 years. I don't know how, who looked at the records before 250 years ago, you know, but record-breaking rain in Phoenix and... Still in 2014, 24 major fires in California in the first five months. The week of May 4th, 2014, 593 wildfires in the United States, 17 major ones. So living at the end of human history, you and I have the privilege of seeing incredible things in a negative way and in a positive way and to be a part of it. Don't sit on the sidelines. Ask God to show you what your work is, and then do it. Don't rend your garments. Rend your heart. And take what he's given you here and you flesh it out when you go home. Would you do that?
Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Five minutes before you see Jesus face to face, what will you wish you'd done differently? He hasn't come yet. And I'll tell you also, I have thanked him for that. There's still time to get things right. Still time to serve him. Still time to let him make up for you the years the locusts have eaten. Still time to rend your heart and follow through on what he's told you to do. So live your life so that five minutes before you see Jesus, you have no regrets. From this moment, use us for your glory, we pray. Thank you for joining us today for this powerful message for this generation at just the right time. Plan to join us each week for another in-depth study from God's Word. And don't forget, there are always free resources for your own study of the Bible at angramlots.org.